Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Beam, 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 beam. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today is a big, big, big day for us because Phoebe Robinson is in the studio. What? We're freaking the <laughs> fuck out. Hi. Hi, Phoebe. <laughs> How are you? We're good. We're so happy Great. and excited to see you. Oh, I'm happy to be here. This is great. We're in like, you guys aren't here, but we're in like a cozy space and I don't have any shoes on. So I feel like, you know, Joss Stone. It's great. (laughs) I'm very happy. If you are not already up to speed, Phoebe Robinson is truly one of the funniest humans alive, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> you make me laugh like no other, like stuff comes out of my face on the subway because that's when I listen to you. We're going there. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is a stand-up comedian, an author, and an actor. And her super duper popular podcast, Two Dope Queens, that she hosts with Jessica Williams, is about to debut as not one, not two, not three, but four HBO comedy specials airing throughout the month of February, starting February 2nd, which is when this episode drops. I'm so so excited. It could not be more Ah, (laughs) perfectly timed. It's insane, but I'm pumped. So I, I really feel like... We've got you here on such an auspicious moment in your life. <laughs> oh my god! We're so, like I there's I and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's kind of a difference between podcast famous and HBO famous, and yeah. we're all about to find out what that means for you and Jessica. And are you ready? For that? Are you ready for it? <laughs> I mean, I have not thought about it in terms of like HBO famous. I. I just been so focused on like, you know, shooting it, coming up with this stuff, looking at edits. And so I'm still kind of like, oh, yeah, people are going to watch this. Like someone from high school today, uh, he lives in um, L.A. His name is Matt. He texted me a picture of Jessica now on Billboard. And I was like, oh, yeah, and people are going to watch. Like I always just create in such a vacuum that I forget that people are going to check out the final product. So <laughs> I'm just like, if are I you ready hang- to not be able to take the train? <laughs> I'm definitely still going to take the train. I just want to like meet the cast of Game of Thrones and I'll be okay. That's like, that seems so totally doable. I think that's possible. Is it? They're like so busy. They're still shooting. They're going to call you Coco Khaleesi. You know what? If that happens, I'll die. (laughs) (laughs) But there's the the other thing about going from podcast famous to HBO Mm -hmm. famous is your face. Like, are you, are you getting stopped on the street for selfies already? Are you ready for that to be happening more? (laughs) Um, I mean, I do get stopped from time to time. I don't want to pretend like I don't. And that's always like nice. Usually it's when I'm, I have like one uniform that I wear when I travel in the airport and it's basically 
a blanket. It's usually it's just a onesie from Urban Outfitters that's gray and like made of like sweatpant material Perfect. and I throw a beanie on. So I'm just kind of like I I'm just gonna enjoy till I can I have to dress like Victoria Beckham when I go to the airport. Ah. <laughs> so I always look like I'm on my way to do laundry or I just got my period. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I gotta step it up, I guess. Now that or I'm you'll be starting a new trend and we'll yeah. all be so much more comfortable from now on. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, but um, yeah, people have always been really nice when they come up to me. They're just like, we love the podcast. You and Jessica are so funny. And it's n- nothing but great stuff. So it's, yeah. it's really, I mean, you really would have nice. to be a real piece of work to be like, Phoebe, I hate you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you are not funny. <laughs> you know, suck. I, I, I'm sure that will happen one day, but thankfully it has not happened yet. <laughs> I, I want to see the person that pulls that shit. There is a very exciting and lovely photo shoot slash interview with you and Jessica in the latest issue of Bust Magazine on stands now with Kristen Ritter. Ritter Oh my God, Jinx, Emily, (laughs) my meld. (laughs) (laughs) We're so twinsies. But yes, you're on, you're in the issue. And one of the things that caught my attention in your interview was when you were just talking about, um, you noticed that your podcast was just getting super duper popular. And then you're such a boss lady. Mm -hmm. It was your idea to be like, well, yeah, we should definitely be on HBO. And I love that it was your (laughs) idea. And I was just so, I wanted to know more about how it went from like you being boss lady being like, yeah, I have a super popular product. Like why wouldn't HBO want it? And then actually getting it onto HBO. What did you like your, did your people call their people? How did it happen? Yeah, I am. I'm such a businesswoman. Like I'm always thinking of how to turn the next thing into the next thing, and everything is just working in tandem with each other. And you know, Justin and I were just having like such amazing shows, and like we're getting such great feedback about the podcast. I was like, guys, I feel like this is a show, and on, like we could get a show based on just like kind of just keeping the essence of the podcast and just putting it on screen. And you know. Just because, like, she was busy, I was busy. We, I would say it, and like, then it would kind of like fall away because other stuff would come up. And then <clears throat> last year, when I was like in LA writing on Portlandia, I was like, guys, honestly, we have to make this happen. This is a show. I feel it in my bones. So they're like, okay, great. And so everyone was just like, yeah, let's. Why have we been waiting? Let's just all like do it now. Like we all have like a free moment. And I was like, yes, we finally have the moment. And so we, you know, just kind of like pitched it out, like. You know, UTA did a phenomenal job of pitching us out. But also, I think because we at that point had three seasons in the can, like we had, you know, audio of like everything we done. We also do like Facebook live streams of it so we could direct people to like you can actually see kind of like the genesis of what a TV show would be. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, when we were taking meetings with different people, we met with HBO Jessica and I were like, okay, well, we're going to like come up with all this stuff because it's going from podcast to TV. We got to do all this like extra pizzazz. And we went in and we're like, well, maybe we could do this or do that or do this and blah, blah, blah. And then HBO was just like, we just want you to keep the essence of the podcast. Like, that's what we like. And we think that's what's going to work the best. Like, usually things don't work when you try and change. Like, what's mm-hmm. the secret yeah. sauce about it to make it fit a different format? And that was Nina. And um, it's a testament to her just being like, this product is great. You guys have worked on this for four years. So now we're just going to sort of, like, refine it. And, like, you can, like, wear cool clothes. And, like, you can probably get celebrity guests on that you haven't been able to have on before. So, 
they really just got it instantly and they say yes to the dress and we, <laughs> we were very greedy and just like um my manager should know was like you should do four specials in black history month and i was like you crafty bitch. <laughs> yes, we will ask for four because you know what? If we were white dudes, we would totally ask for four and not be like, that's crazy. But I was just like, you're genius. Um, and HBO was like, yes, we will absolutely do four episodes. And that's we amazing. Like, that's awesome. You guys are crazy for saying yes. <laughs> when I heard that it was going to be a show, like immediately mm-hmm. I was on HBO specifically. I was like, that's perfect. I am imagining it right away. It's going to be like deaf comedy jam, but with like better curated comedians and more consistently funny yeah like that was like what i was just imagining that it would be um right off the bat but also you know going back and thinking about it you guys are the very first podcast to ever cross over into tv ever in the history of the medium really? we're pioneers one? numero uno yeah i think especially like comedy podcast has never been done do you feel like you're like kicking the door open for all of us like <laughs> microphone people um, I don't know if I'm kicking the door open because I don't want to like, you know, be to like place importance on myself. But I place I, the importance. I, on <laughs> I think I was the one who placed the importance on you. So don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, but I, I do think that the way that entertainment is changing so much, like obviously with like hashtag me too and hashtag times up, but also the way that talent is being discovered like abby and lana were a web series you know Issa ray web series so i i feel like there are just so many different avenues there's so many networks that are looking for content and they're you know you have a microphone we have a microphone so you can kind of just build your audience and build your brand and build your voice and build you know everything that kind of like where you have a show pretty much intact when you're ready to go to a network and i think there's just like an audience for different comedic voices right now which is great you have people like Issa Rae and like you have like Mindy Kaling and Abby and Alana you just have like a lot of like different unique very specific voices and there are people who love the different content that each of us have and so I just think that podcasting is just a different way it makes it easier for networks to kind of farm talent because it can Mm -hmm. go oh this person has like you know, they've been doing this podcast for five years. I know what the show is. And like, you don't have to, like, try and convince someone be like, please see me. Like, the executive is like, okay, I can get it as clearly as possible, which is, I think, fantastic. So I hope that more shows are made out of podcasts because I think it's just makes just the most sense. You seem to me like almost an object lesson in like the potential of podcasting because you have this big personality that can translate in so many ways. You're an actor and you're a writer and you're a stand-up comedian. And then somehow you were an early adopter in podcasting. You not only had two dope queens, you have so many white guys, like two super popular podcasts that everybody I know listens to. How, how did you know that podcasting was going to be your way in or did, are you just assuming that all of your ways in are your way in? Yeah, I think it is. I do assume all of my ways are my way in. But also, I remember like years and years ago before I ever started podcast, like my very first podcast was like this rinky dink podcast I did in my apartment in Kensington in Brooklyn that had a moldy ceiling in the bathroom the entire time I was there. <laughs> and I didn't know like how to use GarageBand, barely knew how to edit. And it was an interview show called Blaria Live, Black Daria. And I would just like interview people um on it but um i just even before i did that i was just like you know i think i want to 
host a radio show one day. So I just was all, I just like talking to people and even more than this, I like interviewing people better. Um, so I, w- I just kind of always was like, I think I could host like a, I, I was thinking like morning radio, uh-huh. but I was like, that's a lot of hours. I don't know that I have the stamina to, uh, to, to do drive time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think I could fulfill three hours of content. Like I'm not that interesting. But um, so when podcasting came along and I saw, you know, what Mark Marin was doing with his podcast and, you know, listening to people like Terry Gross, I was like, maybe there's something that I could do in this space that would work for me. Cause I do think I have kind of a different interview style that makes people want to open up in a way that mm-hmm. they might not feel comfortable on other shows. And so podcasting just kind of fill that 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 nugget in my head where I was like radio might be the thing for me let me ask you about you and Jessica I know you guys met four years ago when Mm -hmm. you were doing a segment for the daily show yeah and then you guys quickly became friends Mm -hmm. like we all have friends we all lean on our our girl posse heavily especially at bust magazine but there's a big difference between a friend and even a best friend and a work wife yeah Mm -hmm. which is what you guys have become i feel like callie and i've worked together for over a decade how long have we worked together 13 years maybe yeah something like that but it's only been i feel like in the last year since we started doing this podcast that i realized that you were my work spouse oh she she was just there all 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 along um how did you realize that jessica was gonna be a work wife yeah i think we just both kind of realized when we did the first the first show wasn't even two dope queens is my um Bellaria show at ucb east and i just asked her to co-host it with me as a goof because she said she always wanted to do stand-up and i was like all right cool just do it it'll be fun like one off and keep it moving i'll see you around i'm sure whatever and we just had like a lot of fun doing it and i was like hey i think i could do this again I'm like would you want to do this another time and she was like i was thinking the same thing so i think we both just kind of felt this would be fun to do again. And so you know how you slowly like date a person. So you just kind of go on one date and then another date and then another date. You're like, okay, this is like really awesome. And, you know, I think just in the way that I'm sure Key and Peele just recognize that their chemistry is unlike any anything other when they work with someone else. You know, I mm-hmm. recognize like my chemistry with Jessica is like pretty pretty unique and special and of course I have chemistry with other people that I do comedy with like Alana, Michelle Buteau but I think what Jessica and I have is truly like lightning in a bottle and I think we we were just like pretty savvy enough to pick up on it and be like let's kind of make this a thing. It's so magic. Aw thank you. I just it makes me happy every time I hear you guys together. It's sort of like so much more than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. It's it's just sort of I'm so grateful that you guys met each other for for like everyone who listens to you. It just brings so much joy. Let's talk about your first book. I'm super excited that you're writing another book. I'm excited too and also behind. (laughs) Your first book came out in 2016. It's called You Can't Touch My Hair. Mm -hmm. And um, it's super funny. I recommend it to every single person alive. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes, Sydney Poitier, pick up a copy. Yeah. <laughs> it's super funny. But one of the things that impressed me the most about it is that while it's super funny, it really doesn't pull any punches talking about the intersection between sexism, racism, pop culture, um, and also just sort of like interactive social culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's something that we struggle and strive to do so much at bust magazine this is bust's 25th year 
we're um, going to put together a big party to celebrate it this summer, right? A shindig. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) everyone can keep their eyes and ears peeled for info on that. But for 25 years, we've been trying to like make feminism something that's like fun and cool and enjoyable. And I feel like there's a lot of ways to do that, but sometimes it's it can be very tricky to yeah. strike that balance. And your book for me was really very instructive on how to how to talk about sexism, how to talk about racism, how to talk about intersectionality and things that really matter in a way that still is pleasurable to read. Is that just sort of something that you instinctively did? Was that part of your aim in writing the book or is that just like how your thoughts come out? Yeah, I th- so before I had the book deal, I had a blog called Blari. There's a theme. <laughs> I like to brand things. I'm a Kardashian. Just kidding. Um, but I had a blog and I was doing it. I was writing like three to five times a week. And one of my first blog posts was about the show Girls. Uh-huh. And just like sort of my like not... Just like just some, you know, kind of like critiques that I had at the show. And, you know, Huffington Post, like someone at Huffington Post asked asked me to if it was OK to reblog it. And then like some pe- friends read it and it wasn't even like it didn't go viral. Like I know people are always like, this went viral. It's like it, people read it, but it wasn't viral. <laughs> but I, you know, I had like a pretty decent amount of, you know, hits on a, a blog site that I started like 10 days prior to that article. And. I study at, uh, writing in school and I was like, I maybe could get like, I was like, maybe I could eventually like write a book one day. Cause I think I have like what it takes, like I need shaping. But, um, and with that blog, I would just write about like feminism, racism, sexism, you know, just politics, like all these things that I, I didn't necessarily realize I was super passionate about until I started writing about them on a regular basis. And, I think because I pepper like a lot of my writing with like pop culture references and jokes, just because I'm like also like trying to figure out how to comprehend stuff too. Um, And I want to do it in a fun way as opposed to being very dry and academic. And it's just kind of like how I speak in my normal life anyway. So when I I translate that to the book with the help of my editor, Kate Napolitano, what up girl? Um, It really just felt like, not that it was like easy because it was definitely writing that book was like the hardest thing I've ever done professionally, but it felt like I kind of figured out what my voice was and I wasn't like asking for permission to express my opinions or, you know, say what I think should be changed about certain things like the NFL and the um, the way that a lot of their players abuse women. Um, so it just, with the book, it just really kind of felt like a combination of my writing and also educating myself about feminism and other different issues. And it was like a really fun book to write. So I'm glad that you like it and that it like resonates with people. Has your feminism changed since you wrote that book? I feel like you're a much more public figure now even than you were when that first book came out. Is is there going to be more of a feminist thread in your, in your second book? Yeah, I think, um, because I do have more of a platform now, which is like nice and like, it's cool that I can like, you know, get hair and makeup done, but like ultimately that stuff doesn't matter. So I like try to, you know, use my platform to talk about issues that actually like really matter. Cause like while career stuff is fun, like 
the world is a freaking scary mm. place right now. And there's uh-huh. a lot of shit that needs to be tended to. And so I think, you know, not only with my next book, which is called Everything's Trash, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you. But I, yeah, I, I think that it, it I don't know if it's going to be more feminist or not, but it's definitely going to have the same like through line of like just thinking about feminism and making sure that's at the forefront of, you know, whatever I write about. You were writing about feminism and being a pop culture feminist aligned person before everything blew up with Weinstein Mm -hmm. and hashtag me too and hashtag times up. Mm -hmm. Does it feel like the world is coming to you in a certain way? Like the world is starting to catch up or are you afraid that it's a fad? You know, like we've been working on Bust for so long. We're we're excited, but also very almost side eye with like Mm -hmm. the sort of media frenzy about feminism. If this is just a tip, I'm going to be real mad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't think it's a trend. I think, you know, much like 50 years ago, it's probably like it was socially acceptable to hit your wife and no one like really kind of call you out on it. I think like, and like, that's not okay anymore. And I think it's truly like, this is like the death knell of like sexual harassment in the workplace. It is not okay to do it anymore. You will lose your job. You cannot assault people. You will lose your job. And people are going to speak out. No one's going to keep your secrets for you anymore, which I think mm-hmm. is the best part is that people are feeling empowered to share their stories and share their truths and, Share, you know, I've been reading like different interviews that Rose McGowan has been doing in promotion um, and promoting her book Brave that's out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking that this was such a traumatic experience that she was carrying around and she was saying for for decades and she would constantly say in interviews like no one believed me. No one would listen to me. Everyone acted like I was crazy. And what I'm hoping is that people like we've all in this room been harassed. I've been harassed too. Thankfully, I have nothing beyond that happened to me. But like, you know, I just think about going forward that women are not or men are not going to be scared to say, hey, someone is hurting me. They're not going to worry that no one's going to believe them. They're not going to have to walk away from a career uh, because they're like to be in this career is going to hurt me too much. Um, and it's great that we're we're not going to lose artists who could give us something that but they like a lot of women comedians felt like they had to walk away from stand-up, for example, because they were getting mm-hmm. harassed and they just didn't want to deal with it. And so I just think about like all the like artists and like people and women who are going to do politics now because they feel like it's going to be more of a safe space. So I think that I think it's not a trend. I could be wrong, but I, I really just get the vibe that people are just not taking this shit anymore. But when we're talking about like comedy as a safe space or not a safe space Mm -hmm. for women, comedy is notoriously not a safe Mm -hmm. space for women. But at the same time, your show is so popular. And I feel like it is as it's grown in popularity, so many women have come to prominence just by listening to them on your show. And partially it's almost like, hey, where all these women comedians come from? (laughs) But really, it's they've always been around Mm -hmm. and working so hard and haven't been given the opportunities because from what I understand for the majority of the history of stand-up, the bookers who are going to put shows together are like, okay, who's going to be the one female comedian in this? If there was one at all, that's not what the listeners get on your show. And your show is really a safe space, both I think for comedians and for audiences. Yeah. Like there's, there's 
a part of me that loves stand-up comedy so much. Mm. And then there's another part of me that won't go to a show because I don't want some dude picking me out of the audience and like making fat jokes about me. So I'm not going to go there. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, for a fact that that would never happen right. on a two dope queens show. I was in the audience for one of your HBO tapings. You were I had a one. super fantastic time. I had I was at the Titus Burgess one. Oh, he's so great. He I saw the John really Stewart one. Oh, oh my god. Great. Awesome. It was awesome. Yay. <laughs> but I think how big that, that the venue po- was. I've never had to put my phone in jail before. Yeah, our I phones know. were in phone jail. I know, which is great because they didn't want people posting stuff. It totally makes sense, yeah. but it was really hard cuz somebody went to get beer, somebody went to save seats, and then we were like, oh, well, this is like the 90s. We got to figure out how to find each other. Right. <laughs> somebody find a payphone. But I feel like the safe space that is created by Two Dope Queens and being an inclusive space and being a non-asshole sexism space is really raising up the whole art form. Yeah, I've been doing stand-up for about 10 years, and, you know, it is a very male-dominated industry and you know when you start on stand-up you're like typically i don't want to speak for every stand-up comedian but typically it's like your your goals are first to get like a, a late night set and then a half hour special then an hour special and you know i was super pumped to do seth myers in 2015 but like it's rare for someone who looks like me and who talks like me to do like a late night set and i just noticed that there were just so many comedians that i love around the country who are amazing and hilarious and they're not being given the same opportunities as like maybe a straight white guy. And so, you know, that was, you know, I think also with Jessica coming from the improv world, it's the same sort of thing. I think for when we came up with Two Dope Queens and really decided to make this a thing, we really just wanted to have comics of color, female comedians, queer comedians, and just have it be really inclusive. And this is not to say like we don't book, you know, white male comedians. Of course we do. But it's the whole kind of there's a there's a giant kind of basket, if you will, uh-huh. of comics to choose from. And to have someone like a Naomi Ek Paragon or have a Nori Davis who did warm up for all the HBO specials and make these really smart and thoughtful jokes about having a trans brother as opposed to just being like, look at this freak, like how every other moronic comic like tries mm-hmm. to talk about trans people or trans issues it's just like a no-brainer like there's so many smart thoughtful really funny comedians out there and i just was like i just want to book people who i'm a fan of so i have people like baron vaughn or a michelle buteau or a john early who's like in everything right now and it's just hysterical and it's just like a no-brainer for me and i'm like Hey, if you're booking a comedy show, if you're just booking a whether re- whether it's televised or not, it's like there's tons of talent out here. You just have to open your eyes and like do your job. Uh-huh. Uh I wanted to ask you about your relish. Can I? Yeah, of course. And the only thing is I can't say his name. He wants to be a private person, but of course. Yeah. British Bake Off. Yeah, hashtag British Bake Off. Hi, baby. Hyphen B A E. So for a while on the show, For Jessica years, was, was the single. coupled up one mm-hmm. and you were the play in the field one. And those were kind of like when you talked about sexuality, yeah. those were like kind of your <laughs> roles. And then like you met British Bake Off at a mm-hmm. U2 concert, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so all LOL of that. LOL until the day I die. Oh my so God. Ridiculous. <laughs> so much drama back and forth between you and Jessica about your love of U2 and her hatred of U2 and the fact that it 
it came together at a U2 concert yeah. is just the best. Wait, is that because when we pod, how long have you been with us? Six months. Yeah, because when we were on the podcast with Jessica, she yeah, when was Jessica- going to the U2 concert to meet you. Right. It was Friday that day. Auspicious. <gasps> that Whoa. is so auspicious. Neener, yeah. neener. Yeah. Right. So, so when- I feel like I was there with you. <laughs> <laughs> we're like practically you there. You were. <laughs> Does it change the dynamic at all that you are now both coupled up? Um, no, because I think we both have different relationships with our respective partners. And also she's uh, four years in, four and a half years in, and I'm six months in. And, you know, so I I think that I think it's still a good dynamic because I think the way that we approach dating is different and relationships is different. So we have like different things to kind of pull from, which has been great. And British Bake Off is like, Super supportive. He loves the podcast. He came to all four tapings of the special. Why do you call him British Bake? Because he's British. And um, actually, I didn't come up with the nickname Michelle Buteau did when I was telling her about him (laughs) initially. And she's like, oh, he's such a little British Bake Off because he's like British and likes to bake. Yeah, Uh he's a bag. And so, you know, that's how the the name was born. I was like, thank you, Michelle. But um, yeah, he's just been like super fun. And it's been, it is truly funny that we met at a U2 concert because he's not a psycho U2 fan like I am. He was there. (laughs) He's a tour manager. So he was there uh, TMing the support band. And um, we just like kind of hit it off like he didn't like me initially because I was like very flustered and focused on you two and like not him and he was like oh my my god (laughs) I was like I gotta go see Bono and co and he's like okay you go away I can't deal with your crazy but um it ended up working out yeah but because you were single on the show for a while and talked about it Mm -hmm. openly as a listener, I feel invested in your relation. I guess probably even more than in Jessica's because oh, I thought you was... were going to say than yours. And yeah. I was not going to say that. But um, you are cold. <laughs> that would be a cold, cold thing to say. Yeah. But because Jessica's relationship was predating the podcast, mm-hmm. and we like knew that you were like out and about and like meeting famouses and whatnot. Um. I know I'm not the only person who's invested in your romantic happiness <laughs> as like a plot point of the show. Does that is that something that gets internalized at all that like people are online or tweeting at you and like want to know about your relationship succeeding? <laughs> no, it's sweet. I'm like, maybe we'll be the next like John Legend and Chrissy Teigen. Um... Oh, God, I love the team. Relationships. I love her so no, much. I, I think it's like really nice that people are like rooting for you. Because I mean, I was single for like two years and like I did not like trying to date and I am a workaholic so I was like I just won't try and date anymore and then I met this guy and he's been fantastic um so it's it's really nice to have people being like yes but I'm not feeling it doesn't feel like people are like thank god <laughs> we were worried about you it just feels more like oh you finally found someone who's like not trash yeah it's so yeah. been like really nice and I think he likes it too and I say all the time that like People people like him more than like me. Like my niece definitely likes him more. Like every oh, she's no. <laughs> she's four, and every time I Facetime her, ever since she met him, I'm like, "Hi," and she's like, "Hey, where's filling his name?" And I'm like, "It's like I'm 
garbage now. She only <laughs> she only wants to. Is face it the him. accent? Is it the British accent? It's the accent. I think it's also that he is like just really sweet and funny, and he has like a really good personality. So I think that people just kind of like. I really like this dude. I'm like, I know, me too. It's <laughs> are a great judge of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if she... the kid calls you trash, you're probably trash. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you about abreves and slang. Oh my gosh. To my mind, it. you are one of the <laughs> the quickest wits when it comes to abbreviating things that I've ever heard. I appreciate your abreve skills and <laughs> your general slangery. And I also feel like I talk like that, Mm -hmm. but maybe not always. I'm not a professional comedian, so it's not always so on point. But I feel like a 17-year-old inside. Like Different (laughs) people feel like they're different ages inside, and I was just sort of like preserved in amber at 17. And so even though I'm 42 (laughs) now, like... You're 42? I am, but I talk like... I can tell. Why, thank well, that's you. that's because you're 17. But yeah, <laughs> that's, because, that's because I'm 17. I talk like I'm 17 inside. And my now I'm trying to think 17. what my my insides age is. Maybe you haven't gotten there yet. I you think I'm an elderly person in here? Uh, you might be the elderly woman that you were born to be. I could, I, I could be a little <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, Sophia Petrillo inside. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely a Long Island divorcee who drinks white wine and has ice cubes in the glass. Like, nice. that's me. I love... Billy Joel, I freaking saw Journey last. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I, I love oh Dad Rock. Yeah. To me, the uh, like abbreviations and slang stuff is very teenage girl to me mm-hmm. and it appeals to the teenage girl inside of me. At the same time, at different very formative moments in my life, I was culturally mentored by gay men who mm-hmm. are also like super good at that. And I've often had this I've wondered sort of a chicken or the egg thing. Are gay men picking up on teen girl speech? Are teen girls picking up on gay male speech? Are teen girls and gay men picking up on black American speech? Mm. Like where, who is the originator? Who gets the OG? Like, are we all just like a Venn diagram of a briefs? I'm going Venn diagram. Yeah. I mean, I do you remember that cell phone commercial where this teen girl walks in her kitchen, she's talking to her parents and they're like, what are you doing? Or something. He's like, who are you texting? She's like, IDK, my BFF, Jill. No one remembers this commercial, but I always thought it was funny. And so I would like kind of make fun of like speaking in like acronyms and abreaves. And then it just kind of became a part of my personality. I can't like separate it. <laughs> but I do think I do think for sure there is like. You know, some stuff has originated with black people, some with queer people, some with teenage girls. And, you know, I know with like the whole like YQY thing, I like to always <laughs> tell people I did not create it. It was a listener by the name of Landon who is gay. He created it and gave me permission to say it just so people are clear on that. But YQY. Um, yeah, YQY. Yas queen yas. Um, and so I think as long as you're like kind of respectful of various cultures or if you're going to say you know like yqy but like not like credit it not credit it or like not be outspoken about queer issues and trans right. issues and it's like you need to check yourself you know what i mean so you can't just kind of like have the fun parts of different cultures and then like turn a blind eye to like you know all the the things that they have to go through and the battles they must contend with so i think you know, it it's hard because you want everything to be like a melting pot and like that's what we all want. But I think 
a lot of times people forget to, you know, respect the culture they are mining from to help build their Mm -hmm. own personality. And that's fine. Um, But yeah, I think you just have to like be respectful of other people. Like like appreciation versus appropriation. Yeah. And like, you know, there are just certain things that like, like, I don't want to sound like a RuPaul's drag race, like drag queen. Like, I don't want to just completely mimic that and then be like, that's who I am. Because it's like, that's not who I am. I don't, I would never have talked like that if I hadn't seen that show. So it's like, I can do like the YQY, but I'm not like full on, like just sounding like uh, Alyssa Edwards. You know what I mean? Right. Who I love. But I'm like, if I did that, then it would be like, Phoebe, what the fuck are you doing? That's like, not you. Let's talk about your acting career. Ooh, fun. It's, it's, it's starting. It's popping <laughs> off, right? So you, I saw you and I love Dick. Mm-hmm. I know you were in Search Party. Yeah. And then I heard you talk about filming in Croatia, this mm-hmm. film called Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Who's Ibiza? Ibiza. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke in the movie. Ibiza. Uh, Gillian Jacobs, mm-hmm. Vanessa Bear. Yeah. You. Richard Madden from Game of Thrones. Man. Yeah, yeah. See, you're already in with Game of Thrones. I know. You're already <laughs> in there. I don't have his number. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was that. That's this is my first movie. It comes out in May. I don't have the the date yet. Um, but like on Netflix, right? Yeah, on Netflix, and I'm I'm really pumped for it. I had a great time. Vanessa and Gillian are so fun, and I, I think we all. It, the script is by Lauren Kahn and directed by Alex Rickenbach. But um, I think we all were kind of just feeling like we're shooting in Serbia. We never thought we'd be here, and we all got like like various forms of like food poisoning i think that like kind of bonds you when you're like having (laughs) diarrhea or you're throwing up you're Mm -hmm. all just kind of like we're in this together but it just felt like it felt like so fun i definitely got was homesick for the first two weeks but then after that i kind of was like okay this is like an amazing opportunity and like it it sucks like being away from my family for two months and I think I started dating British Bake Off like a week and a half or th- no, two weeks before I had to leave. Oh, for two Oh, months. my God. Yeah. And we were just like on FaceTime for two months. So I was definitely like, this is nuts because I already like knew I like loved him before I left town. Oh, um, and I later found out he already felt the- he felt the same way, too, before I left town. Oh, my gosh. Your story about meeting British Bake Off and then going to Serbia reminds me of my parents. Oh, my really? parents met and like. It was like 69 or 70 or something. And like they met and like they were so into each other for a few weeks. And then my mom took off for Israel for the whole summer to like study at like the university in Israel. And like my dad missed her so much. He like hitched a ride with a Hadassah trip to Israel to like meet up with her. And then like they came back and like the whole time, like they had only known each other for like two months total. Like part of that she was in Israel. But then they just were like, yeah, let's get married. I love it. That's really cute. And now I'm here hosting this podcast. Look at you. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, British, thanks. British, <laughs> yeah, British Bake Off came and surprised me in um, Croatia. Which nice. Was nice. Oh, for my adorable. birthday. So that was cool. So, yeah. He's a keeper. 
Yeah, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like a little gym. You're such a polymath. You're doing so many things all at once. So you're working on your second book. Mm-hmm. You just wrapped this movie. Mm-hmm. Your four HBO specials are about to come out. Mm-hmm. Like the podcast, I assume, is coming back soon-ish. There's so many maybe. white guys, I can't say when it's coming back, but I have started interviewing and I'm super excited for some of the guests that we have. <laughs> and I think people are going to love it. So yeah, I'm pumped. What are your hopes and dreams macro for 2018 oh 2018 i mean hbo specials being a success uh and making hbo proud um people watching the netflix movie and then um i'm gonna do a book slash stand-up tour my book comes out in the fall so i'll need to (laughs) figure out a new 45 minutes of stand-up not to add more to the plate um and then i would love to eventually like like get like my own stand-up special yeah, definitely. This year, I'm like, here maybe. for these goals. Yeah, so it's good. And also, like, see my boyfriend and, you know, my sister-in-law is, I, I'm, like, glancing at my phone because she just got induced into labor today. <gasps> oh, today? So, today. So I've just been, like, and, you know, my brother's in the hospital. Like, he can't be on the phone. So I just, I sent a text before I came in and I was like, how's it going? Because I, like, can't, call, and I haven't heard anything. So I'm just kind of like, where's baby number two? Auntie yeah. baby. So yeah. So I'm just like, I'm, I can't wait to, like, go home and just, like, hang out with the new baby and and just do stuff. Like, there's, like, so much, like, cool real life stuff going on that I think as I'm getting older, I appreciate more. Do you have auntie goals? Yeah, I mean, my auntie goals are just to, like, I really think my niece that I have so far, she's, like, so smart. She's really into, like, math and science. Like, she loves Moana. She's not, like, all about, you know, like, Beauty and the Beast. She's all about just, like, kind of being, like, the hero of her own life. And so I got her, like, a little feminist T-shirt, and she, like, wore it the other day. Like, it's just, like, really cute. And, like, she's really funny because it's, like, I have to, like, explain feminism to her a little bit and I went home for Christmas and uh she was like can we make a snowman and I was like or a snow woman she was like no I want a snowman and I was like you know what snow women they also work and she was like mom why can't I have a snowman (laughs) and I'm like it's about equality of gender and she was just like She's four, and I'm, like, yelling at her. She's just hilarious. Just want a snowman. Can you get the fuck out of my face, dog? It's, like, what she was feeling, you know? Oh, my God. And then I was just, like, and then, like, by the time I left, she was, like, Mom, I want to make a snowman and a snow woman. I was, like, You got in there. I got in there. got in there. (laughs) Which is really fun, When we were talking to Jessica, she was talking about, like, her ultimate, like, not working pleasure is the sins. Do you have something similar where when you just need to turn your brain off, like what what helps you make that happen, or does it ever turn Gosh, off? I do turn off. I really love watching trash TV. Nice. I really do. I've seen every episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which is so ignorant. It's <laughs> it's ignorant. it's like not good. Who's your favorite? Uh, Chloe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like everyone's. Favorite. She's the best. But it's like I've seen that. I've never seen like Schindler's List. Like I don't have <laughs> my priorities together. It's ridiculous. So that and I love FaceTiming my friends and then going to YouTube concerts. I wish, <laughs> I know I'm bringing it back to YouTube, but I love that I saw them six times last summer when they did the oh Joshua Tree tour. I like I am a 
stan. Have you um, always, since like the beginning of your time? Yeah, I think since I was like 13. Wow. Yeah, they got in there and they have, they're not going to leave. That's so crazy. <laughs> I know, it's 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 a bit much, but I, I love it. That segues perfectly into the final question that we always ask every guest, which is, what you watching? And that doesn't just mean TV. What you watching includes TV, movies, books, podcasts, music, music videos. Is there anything else that's floating your pop culture boat that we should know about? Oh, my gosh. You know what? Let me go through my my iTunes. <laughs> I have Apple Music. I don't, people are like, that's not cool. And I'm like, have you met me? I'm not cool. Um, I really have... I, I've, I've been, oh, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Shaka Khan lately. <gasps> let me hold like you. Let back. me love you. Let me feel you, Shaka yeah, Khan. And like, your hair is also sort of telling that story to me. Thank yeah. you. Like a lot of that, Diana Ross. I've been like throwing it back. Nice. That's been my thing music that. wise. And then books. I haven't been reading a lot of books lately. I'm like halfway through um, Bruce Springsteen's book, um, which is. You're such a dad. I am such a dad, but honestly. <laughs> He's one of the the best writers I've ever read. Like, I'm reading this and I'm like, this is absolutely beautiful. Like, it's, I'm like, I'm like, Bruce, can you write another book? It's just, the imagery is just, I don't know why I was surprised he's a songwriter for what, 40 years, but I, 40 years, but I was just like, oh my God, this is so. I heard it was really good. And then I went and I saw the, um, his Broadway show with the BF and we were both like, this is the best show we've ever seen in our lives. Wow. And it, it was truly just Bruce on stage with a piano and an acoustic guitar. And it was uh. like fucking nuts. And he did this like super bluesy version of Born in the USA that is, I swear on my life, better than the original. Whoa. It was bananas. Like we were like, this is like gospel and bluesy. We're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, and then TV wise, the other thing that I was so obsessed with last year um, besides Game of Thrones, Big Little Lies. Oh, God. Yeah. So good. Beyond. Beyond. And I just so saw good. on the ride over here that Meryl Streep is cast in season two. <gasps> what? Whoa. Yes. Newsflash. So I'm like, this is season two is going to be so good. That lit. is the I best news of oh my, my day. God. I'm so pumped. I'm going to go smoke about that. Later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So good. As soon as I get home, my best friend's coming over and she lives, she was living in Hawaii and we haven't seen each other in a while. So I'm going to be like, we got this joint yeah. going on right now about big little lies. I can't wait. <laughs> Do you normally dedicate your joints? Occasionally, yes. Occasionally I'll be like, this is the news. This is what, this is what we're micing on tonight. <laughs> I'm also super, and I'm not a makeup person. I have someone because I had uh, a shoot today, but Fenty Beauty. Uh, Support black businesses. It's so good. She cannot do anything less than perfect. That woman. She's a mogul. Every time there's a headline, I'm like, what are you doing now? I know. (laughs) What have you blessed us with now? Yeah. I also, like, remember there was that stuff where, like, the, the journalists got on, like, the the doomed Rihanna plane. Like they put a whole bunch of oh, yeah. journalists on a plane to follow Rihanna around and it turned into like the Batan death march. I forgot about that. Like even that I feel like was her just sort of like lording over the press and showing where the true power was. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I was like, 
and I'm a journalist and I if that if I had been invited onto that hell plane I would have totally gone like even that being the case I was like they probably deserved it because <laughs> she's just right she's just always right yeah. yeah she's like right up there with Oprah she's just like you just can't yeah agreed <laughs> and I love We've that that line consensus. Has, yeah, right? has just inspired so many other companies to pretend like they had Yeah, they're <laughs> diverse, like, oh, yeah, diversity. And you're like, and you're like you have two two foundation colors. Let's, yeah. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now they have to make more colors. Yes. They're out of the game. Get it together, y'all. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having joy. me. This has been fun. Time is like flown by. My, I guess my sister-in-law is still in labor. So there you go. <laughs> Good luck, sister-in-law. You can do it. Push. Push. <laughs> breathe. <laughs> That's for your sister-in-law. Are you going to have a FaceTime? You want to FaceTime the baby as it comes out? No. <laughs> my brother will probably send a, a, a picture tonight before bed. And then that'll be it. Well, Mazel Tov. Thank you. You guys have, this has been a blast. You're Absolute having a blast. baby. You're having an HBO baby. Oh, four. Quadruplets. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And... I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it, and he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like, I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what, what? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. We're back. Hello. Hello. We just spent such a delightful time with Phoebe Robinson. A joy, a pleasure. I'm still in basking in the afterglow of having her in here with us. That sounded more sexual than I meant it. <laughs> but I was I just loved talking with her. She's so smart. She's 
She's smart and beautiful and great. And she was here with us. Callie, what is it that you have been watching? Oh, what have I been watching? So much. So many things. I watched the Obama David Letterman interview. Did you see Oh, yeah. I totally saw it. And it made me yearn for Obama so hard. He is so handsome and so So charming and so in love with Michelle. Oh, my God. He was the best president. Why isn't he our president anymore? But like, I mean, I love Obama's, but I'm not going to watch any of the other ones because how quick we forgot that Letterman cheated on his wife with one of his staffers. I know, but I mean. Workplace romances are not okay when you are in charge. I know. But Detterman. It was was consensual. (laughs) Yeah, it was consensual, but he's also our boss and we know that that is not well yeah it's it's a fucked up power dynamic and i get it the cheating i don't give a fuck about i mean that's not cool bro but that's not what i'm pissed about i'm pissed about taking advantage of work situations yeah um i watched search party i devoured the entire season i am loving it uh, i have a crush on uh that one guy that's also in search party and then also in um stranger things mm-hmm. with the glasses uh it's a little weird this time. It's a little darker. Um, people are calling it the millennial murder mystery, which I find irritating. <laughs> but also alliterative. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just really, I, I can't really talk about much because there's it would give away so many spoilers. Uh, but it's amazing. And I also want, they featured one of my friend's hats in there. My friend uh, Heidi Lee makes these like 3D printed um just like baseball cats that look like lines. And then she also makes these endless, uh, what does she call it? The It's a hat that's like a million faces of hers in a circle that she 3D printed. Oh my God, like a fractal? It's amazing. So <laughs> I feel like she's going to blow up soon. She was just in Vogue. Keep an eye out for Heidi Lee's design. So wait, this design is like people are going to wear a hat with a million of her face on it? Uh, Well, she wears, she, she, Wears that one herself, but she custom makes them for other people. So I could have a hat with all of my face on it a million times? Yes. Mm, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> I saw the new, the first episode of High Maintenance, mm-hmm. which it was really, really good. It was like the whole episode, He's he wakes up and he finds out like they, him and his girlfriend, they check their phones and something terrible has happened. And they don't say what it is the whole time. And it's like they go to, you know, he's delivering. There's a ton of people making calls because people smoke weed when shit goes down. But they never completely say if it was a terrorist attack. In an uh, interview later, I think it was with Rolling Stone, he says that it was the election of of Trump. But you you don't really know the whole time. It's very interesting. So the whole time we you're like, saw what happened? You and I. I and you, we saw the star of that show, Ben Sinclair, at the Women's March. Yes, we did. He was holding a giant pink balloon and a small clutch of pink roses. He is a charming, charming individual. Marching for women, Ben Sinclair of High Maintenance. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about my favorite meme that was on the internet. What was your favorite meme on the internet? The poop knife. <gasps> the poop knife. The, yes, the- I would not have known what a poop knife is Ooh, if it wasn't for you alerting me to the existence of poop knife. Well, I wouldn't have known what a poop knife is if it wasn't for the internet telling me that somebody had a poop knife. Well, actually, if you didn't know, catch the meme when it was going around, this guy is over 
at his friend's house and he has to he, he has to take a shit and then he gets out of the bathroom and he asks his friend where he keeps the poop knife and his friend is confused and then this guy learns that not everybody has a poop knife right but he grew up in a Assuming. family that had a poop knife and when your poop was too big to go to the toilet that's when you need the poop knife to cut it up my mind was so blown and like especially oh and then his wife didn't know that there was a poop knife in the house and then she'd been opening her Amazon mail with it because they were keeping it in the um, in like the storage room because it was between the ba- other bathrooms. The craziest thing to me is if you have a designated poop knife and you don't let your significant other know that's the poop knife. That's disrespectful. That's insanity. How do you think that they know which knife is the poop knife? Yeah. And then there was like all these people commenting on it um, on the original thread. They were like, oh, we have a poop spatula and... We have a uh, like a poop hanger or whatever, so it's common. It's These not people like, have some dense poops, first right? of all, a eh? or really shitty toilet suction, right? Bad to- bad plumbing. Uh, I saw the assassination of Johnny Versace, American Crime Stories first episode. What? Oh my god! <laughs> that good, eh? Yes. First off, it's cinematically beautiful. It is gorgeous. Uh, me and Camillo Mabu realized that. We need to get richer friends or die trying because we're never <laughs> going to be we're never going to be able to have a, a residence like that. But I want to go to to there. I want to be in a Versace house. I will never be the Versace house owner. So I've got to meet the friends and I got to go hang out at their houses. So if one of our listeners out there has a Versace house and wants us to come and float around in your pool, hit us up. I'll be your friend. Yeah. Um. And then I was also really shocked because I was talking like Camilla, he didn't know about the Versace murder. Um, none of my roommates knew anything about the story. So I was trying to not do spoilers because I know everything about the story. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, everybody knows O.J. Simpson. But I was just shocked that not more people knew about the murder or what a big like mystery it was. Yeah, the kids today, they don't know from Versace. They don't know of Versace. And Camilla, oh, oh, um, Donatello Versace is being played by Penelope Cruz. Work. Um, and I tried to explain to Camilla what Donatello Versace looks like. And then I had to show him some pictures and he was like, didn't see that coming. <laughs> um... But Donatella, apparently Penelope Cruz asked Donatella if she could play her. She called her and asked. Wow. Yeah, and Donatella, the Versace family is not backing this show. They think it's all lies. But she was like, if somebody's going to have to play me, I'm glad it's you, hmm. which is nice. Um, and Ricky Martin plays the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Amazingly. It's interesting because it's bouncing around in time. So, like. You, you, it, it's an interesting setup. I am loving it. I can't wait for the next episode. Yay! I saw Happy Death Day. And? I hate Groundhog's Day with an adamant passion because I feel like if you've seen Groundhog's Day once, you've literally seen it a million times. Oh, literally. And I was so like, I, I found that movie so annoying and I'll never watch that movie again. And Happy Death Day was like Groundhog's Day in that the woman is waking up every day on the day she was murdered until she finds her murderer. And she keeps getting murdered over and over again, right? Right. And so I can keep watching that because there's different blood every time. (laughs) 
And every time you're like, wait, how's she die? How's she gonna die today? You know. So, so if only the original Groundhog Day had been kill more that damn Groundhog of a massacre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw the new Bob's Burgers V for Valentine Detta, and it was so hilarious. Mainly because so the theme is that Tina gets dumped on Valentine's Day, and so. Uh, her mom takes her there. They're going on a girls' night, and the limo driver is a maniac and wants to get uh, vengeance on the the guy that dumped Tina. Nice. So they're scheming the whole time, but they go to get makeovers, and um, Louise wants to. Uh, I forget what she said. She what she told the makeup artist she wanted to be something like terror or something. But she has this like insane clown face. That's what she had the makeup lady do to her. So the whole time she's got this like evil giant face and they're all dolled up in beautiful makeup. It's good. <laughs> I love Tina Belcher. I feel like I I admire her erotic friend fiction. Yes. I feel her nerdy style is also tantamount to my own. And she likes the butts of boys almost as much as I do. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember who Jay Holiday is. No. He was an R&B singer um, from like the early 2000s. And he tried to come at my ladies on the internet and tried to bash SZA, Beyonce, Cardi B, and Mary J. Blige. What? In this video clip. And the internet snatched him so hard and threw him. <laughs> Who Does he have an internet death wish? Right? So he tried to say, he goes, I got daughters, man. Beyonce, Cardi B, SZA, all y'all motherfuckers, stop using that fucking pain to make it okay to say some bullshit on your record and get nominated for a Grammy by going through some bullshit. Right? So he's trying to say that the only reason that these women get Grammy nods is because they talk about their emotional their emotional times and relationships. And I'm so sure. As if, like, guys don't ever talk about their emotions. And then he said he's still salty that he lost to Mary J. Blige, the Grammy to Mary J. Blige in 2008 for for that very reason. And uh, Maybe he lost because he does not have an eighth of the talent of Mary J. Blige because everyone in the entire world knows and loves Mary J. Blige. And I don't even know who this dude is. Nobody's, everybody was like, go back to the 2000s, dude. You're, you're out of here. And he's tried to say that pain wins instead of talent. He is obviously batshit. And I, my eye sockets hurt from eye rolling so hard. Oh, my God. He got the gifts, the dragon gifts, the the... The internet, the Twitter uproar was hilarious. Camilla's trying to tell me a story, and I was like, you have to stop. The internet is killing me right now. I have to get back in this meme. Um, and that is pretty much what I've been watching. Well, all right, Callie. I would like to tell you about the very busy pop cultural couple of weeks that I have had. I saw the post. I can't wait to see that. Which is about the cover-up during the Nixon administration that was exposed by the Washington Post um, that was owned by Catherine Graham and edited by Ben Bradley. And they had to make the decision of whether or not to risk being uh, sued by the federal government for exposing what they knew about the Vietnam War. And it, it stars um, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, and they were both so good, and it made me feel like I was an American hero 
for being a journalist. <laughs> and also, it really reminded me of like some of the great things about Bust Magazine where we work. Like there was this idea of, you know, when you have a board of directors and a whole bunch of investors in your newspaper, like if you're the head honcho at the newspaper and there's something really important that you want to say, like if it's controversial, you have to go through like this whole board of directors and like all this bullshit to, you can't just say whatever you want. It has to be okay with the people whose money is invested in it. And at, and you know, like Catherine Graham made history with what she decided and it was a great movie and everybody should watch it. But I just think about how it busts you know, the owners of the magazine are right there in the trenches with us, editing and creating the magazine with us. And we can literally say all the feminist shit that we want all day, every day. And we don't have like a corporate entity breathing right. down our neck telling us what we can and can't say. We can, we are an independent feminist media outlet and we are not beholden to anyone or any corporation just to ourselves and to our own moral Freedom! Freedom! And so, like, I just, I loved the post, but it also made me, like, extra grateful to work for an independent feminist news outlet because I sometimes take it for granted that we can say we do and whatever write we want. whatever the fuck we want. The joys. <laughs> I also watched Molly's Game. I really I want to see that. I heard really good things. I thought I was going to like it more. It's a true story about, well, it's a it's a biographical film. It's not a documentary. It stars Jessica Chastain um, as a real-life woman named Molly Bloom, who was an Olympic-class skier, um, but she actually be ended up becoming famous as uh, the woman who ran the most exclusive high-stakes underground poker game in the world until she became a target for the FBI. Um I was into like this idea of like a lady poker boss, but in practice to me, it was like Jessica Chastain in a variety of slinky outfits, just sort of like hovering beautifully in a corner while men enjoyed themselves. Like oh. to me, that was the, that the was, majority of the movie. Was and not I was, what I was going to get. I was picturing a shrewd, like hustling money here to, that was, Take all your coins. Bitch. That was part of it, and that's kind of what they're what they're advertising it as. But in practice, it's really her being very beautiful and watching attentively while men have a good time. And there's, I just have limited patience for that. As so weird. I also pictured pants and a visor in my head. <laughs> I, I don't remember any visors, but yeah, I I did not love Molly's game. I thought it was, you know, like a, a well-made film, but it didn't. Takes more than that these days. Yeah, definitely. So there's a documentary called I Live With 41 Dogs. Would you care to guess what it's about? <laughs> Living with 41 dogs. So, like, if you want to see the lighter side of animal hoarding, like, the animals seem to be pretty well taken care of, and they don't seem to be ill That's or... Good anything but it is it's in uh england and this woman and her husband live in like a three-bedroom duplex with 41 dogs what kind of dogs Very? they're little ones okay for the most part like little bulldog type dog like frenchies and stuff but um 
So it's really cute to see like the stampede of dogs, like just like running around like a giant. Remember all their names? Dogs. I I don't know, but it's also disturbing to see someone with forty one dogs in their house, but also cute. I don't know. How do they walk them? Like they sort of do it in batches, and also like they go out into the country and like let them all run around, and then somehow they all come back. (laughs) So they do some. They do some like running free. In the countryside. But a lot of the times they're in this house and there's too many dogs. But it wasn't just that lady. There was also like this dude who's like this blow dried magician (laughs) who's like very blonde and tan and just like loved animals so much. He was like blonde and tan and like Adonis like but also damaged. And he just like kept rescuing all these sort of wild animals that were fucked up, like uh, like bunnies and snakes and raccoons and all this stuff. And he had a wife, but she left him because like he was just like this struggling magician trying to like care for all of these animals. And she just like couldn't take it anymore. So she left. So he's just like all he's like all alone in the world, desperate to keep these animals that he can barely afford to feed. And so he keeps like renting him out to do kids parties with the animals and his life was sort of degrading and sad. Oh, that does sound sad. Um, But it was cute because the animals were so cute. I don't know. <laughs> if you want to see people who are like grappling with their animal hoarding addiction, but in a, a cute lighthearted way, I live with 41 dogs is on Netflix. Um, Callie, you sent to me the link for the new cupcake video for Duck Duck Goose. Oh, God. Hilarious. This Chicago rapper, her name is Cupcake. All of her raps are incredibly filthy, like filthy, dirty, like makes my neck, my back sound like a Sunday hymn. Yeah. Like her raps are the dirtiest of the sexual dirt. And so they make me laugh take on Duck Duck laugh. Goose. Yeah. her In this particular video, she's like rolling around with an assortment of dildos and she's wearing pasties that look like little ducklings. And, and like she a- cut the boobs out of her jumpsuit. She always gets a pasty on, even if she's fully clothed. I thought I came, but I peed on the dick. Pubic hair got inches, that's weave on the dick. Pussy like a tree, got leaves on the shit. Bang, bang, this pussy cheap, keep with the dick. Climbing on that dick, need a 10 feet ladder. I love the D, that's my favorite ladder. My news in your phone, taking up your data. My- it was... It was too much. She's so amazing. If something really X-rated in the rap genre is something that you would enjoy, check out the She's cupcake amazing. video for Duck Duck Goose. She spells cupcake with two Ks. Do you remember um, hearing about that movie Fun Mom Dinner? Yeah, it is on Netflix, and like it stars women that I love. Tony Collette is in it. Bridget Everett is in it. Molly Shannon is in it. And it's a... This lineup's great. It's awesome. And it's like a female buddy comedy where, like, they're all moms and they all, like, get together for dinner and cut loose and, like, get up to wacky hijinks. It's written by a woman. It was directed by a woman. It was just, like, totally focused on these funny women. And yet it sucked. Why? Just not funny? It wasn't funny. And it was stupid. so crazy because those people are so funny. I just, like, part of... I definitely watched it the whole way through because it's just really relaxing and nice to be in the presence of those women but i just wish that they had been in a good movie instead of a bad one oh, i was so, so disappointed because i want i was like 100 sure that i was gonna like it and then i didn't um i want to ask you your feelings on the fact that remy ma has a new single called melanin magic featuring chris brown why why 
It's a good song. And it's like Remy Ma's ode to the regality of brown skin. And why is Chris why Brown hot in there? trash Chris Brown? Yeah, like, why Why does she think that's okay? Are they on the same record label? Did they make her do that? I just want somebody to explain to me why they're mucking up a Remy Ma track with Chris Brown. We have not forgiven him. The world has not forgiven him. Nor and will we. It's terrible to have a cool Remy Ma track that you can't listen to because Chris Brown is ruining it. Come on. Trash. That is what I've been watching. Woo-hoo! Woo! I would like to say... Thank you to our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of all. <laughs> it's Rachel Withers. I would also like to thank our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems, and you can email us both. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. I'm Callie W at Bust.com. And to find out more about Bust, visit us at bust.com. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah!